Welcome to the How to Get a Job podcast. I am your host, Daniel Botero. And in this podcast, we help international STEM students land a job that sponsors their H-1B without applying to hundreds of companies. So if you enjoyed this episode, give us a follow, give us a review, and share with a friend. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today is going to be an amazing, amazing episode. So I want you to make sure you stick around all the way to the end because I have an amazing, special, special guest. Our guest today is Mac Pritchard, and he's the CEO and founder of Mac's List, a career hub and job board in the Pacific Northwest. Mac, I'm so happy that you're here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel, and I love your energy. Where do you get it? You're just, you're just bubbling over with energy. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's, I, it's, I, I just, I'm excited about this. Like I'm really passionate about this and I love, I, I want to make this educational, but entertaining. And so I feel like the energy can, you know, to me, if I'm listening to things, I, I want to see, I love people co- like doing things they love. And so I want to make sure that I am sharing that and showing that with my audience because I want them to get motivated and passionate about their career and taking ownership about their career. And it's, and their career to me is not just their first job, really. It's just, all, again, is is that, you know, 30, 20 years, 25 years career that we're looking for. Well, that spirit shines through. And I also love that you're bringing up this point because too many people think they can't follow their passion. They can't have a career they can love. And the fact of the matter is you can, it takes work, it takes focus, and it takes skills. But these are all things that you can do and learn. And I know we're going to talk about some of those things today. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that this, we have some kind of topics that we're going to cover, but I do want to talk about this because coming from an immigrant, like I'm a first generation, I came to this country with $2,000 in two suitcases. I completely understand when someone shares to me and says, hey, Daniel, like all that sounds great. Follow your passion sounds great. But that's hard to do when you're living paycheck to paycheck, when you don't have income coming in, when you're in a really tough situation. So here's my advice to all of you. And just really quick on this, like to me, I understand that. And and to me, your goal should be to be making around 50 to 70 thousand dollars, because when you're making about 50 to 70 thousand dollars, you no longer have to worry about how you're going to pay your bills. After you do that, create a side hustle, start following your passion, start building the skills that are required so that then you can focus on your long term. You might be in that $50,000, $70,000 job for two, three, five years, but at least you're no longer worrying about your bills and and you free your mind to be able to follow and pursue your passion. It's great advice. And I like your emphasis on the long term. And also the fact that you talk about what are often called paycheck jobs, now that's may not be a fifty to seventy thousand dollar job a year job. Maybe that's the the position you you want to build your career on. But sometimes while we're looking for those jobs, we have to take temporary work or pick up freelance work or side hustles, and they may not pay a lot, and they might not be as prestigious or as rewarding as the work that we want. But there's a dignity that comes with work, and also a peace of mind and a dignity that comes with paying your bills. So I'm a big believer in doing paycheck jobs while you chase your longer term goals. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're we're actually saying the same thing. And here's what I mean: like it's all to me, like anything else, life is has levels, right? And if you don't have a job, and you're like, hey, I don't know how I'm going to pay any bills. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. Like 
that's where you're like, Hey, I'm going to get, you know, $15 job, $20, $20 an hour job, you know, whatever minimum wage is in your, in your state. I'm going to just get a job to get a job to start doing that. Now that job should then piggyback or lift you to then get you to that, you know, maybe that salary position, right? right. That $50,000 job. Right. And then that's what I'm saying. So it's not about like, Oh, going from zero to a million dollar job in a year. Like you see that on social media and it's like, you're seeing, either a lie or you're seeing someone else uh, like highlight real or you don't know their whole situation or picture. And we're like, no, like most people that build wealth or build to the point of like achieving their goals, it's by steps and it's by grit and determination. Absolutely. And I know we're here to talk about job search skills, but I do want to share, Daniel, I have gone through two long periods of unemployment in my career. So I know what it's like to cash that last unemployment check. And I came within one check of doing it a second time. So I've had some great jobs in my career, but I've also had tough times. And I, I will say uh, picking up temporary work and keep paying your bills and, and taking those 15 to $20 an hour jobs. There were times when I thought, uh, and this is arrogance on my part. Oh, I'm, I'm up beyond that. That's beneath me. But uh it's so much better to work than to not work. And it's also, if you want to move on, you got to have goals. I know we're going to talk about goal setting and the importance of achieving goals too. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And to me, as we transition to our first topic, I would tell you is networking, right? And like, I would say to me, what I found the easiest way to reach any goal is to find someone who's done it, right? And this applies in career, right? If I want to essentially be like a data analyst at a Fortune 500 company, the best way to get there is to start networking with data analysts at a Fortune 500 company because they've already been in your shoes and can not only give you a referral, but can walk you through the steps that are required to get there. So let's talk about networking. What are your thoughts on networking? Um, you have a, a successful job board list. And you've been in this industry for a very long time. You have a top podcast on this. And, and your thoughts on networking will be very valuable. It's vital. You have to network. And I know that many listeners may say, well, I don't know how to do that. Or I don't know anyone. Or networking, it sounds kind of sleazy. But you have to step back, Daniel, and think about how hiring works. It's based on relationships employers hire people they know, like, and trust, or who are recommended to them by people they know, like, and trust. And so if you want to hear about jobs, particularly those that are go unadvertised or get filled by referrals, you've got to be a good networker. And here's the good news about networking. It's a skill. Anybody can learn how to do it because it's based on relationships. And you may worry that, well, people won't want to help you, but uh, most professionals do, most people do want to help others. You just have to make it easy for them to say yes. And that means you have to be specific and know what you want when you do network. I, I, absolutely. Yesterday, I was doing a coaching call with our clients and I, we were talking about networking and we're talking about relationship. And this thing about being specific on your ask came up like, it's like, hey, you know, like I, I, what I see a lot of people, you know, and we'll talk about this, like the, the shotgun sniper approach or the spray and, and, and pray method that we both have in common. People are also doing that type of networking on LinkedIn, which is they have a message, they copy and paste, copy and paste the message 
over and over again. And this is why I don't think that that's really effective. And I, I think one of my, my, my mentees actually Googled it. It's called the bystander. Uh, it's called a, uh, the bystander. Uh, it's, it's a psychological term that essentially says if a crime is committed in public and like I said, 10 people saw it, you're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to call it in because one of the other nine people is going to do it, right? Versus if you're the only one who saw the crime, then you're going to be like, I feel obligated to need to reply or call it in because I'm the only one that actually saw this and I can actually help. And I think in networking is very similar. Like people want to help. Most people are good. But if the message seems like, oh, they just need help from any data analyst, there's other data analysts can handle this conversation. It seems like a can't like a copy and paste message. I just have a lot going on in my life today, so I'm super busy. I might ignore it or might not reply or might not be willing to help. But if it's very specific towards me and I feel like I'm really uniquely qualified to answer this question, I'm a lot again more inclined to reply because I feel like, hey, I don't want to let this job secret down. I've been in their shoes. I know how that feels. You're making an excellent point. And I encourage listeners to reflect on two phrases. And I've used both of these early in my career. So I say this with kindness and respect, but these are phrases that you have to ban from your job search vocabulary, when you're, especially when you're reaching out with a networking request. The first one is, can I pick your brain? And the reason you don't want to say that, and I, again, this is well-intentioned, and I, I did this myself early in my career, is because it's unclear what you want and to your point, Daniel, it's unclear to the person who gets that message how they can be of help to you. And they'll think, well, I'm not sure. Maybe somebody else can answer that question. I know I'm not the right person to ask, answer it because I'm not certain what it is they want. The second question or point uh, I'd encourage people to drop from the networking messages is, can we get together for coffee? Now, there's a reason why you want to meet this person. Maybe they're working at a company where you dream of working. Maybe they have a position, and you mentioned this earlier, that you'd like to have one day, and you want to know how they got that role and what challenges they had to overcome, what education requirements were necessary. You've got very specific questions in your head about that you'd like to raise with this person, and that's what you should lead with. You, you should say, well, I would instead of saying, can we get together for coffee or can I pick your brain, make a specific request. And it could be something along these lines in an email. Would you have 15 to 20 minutes to get together at your convenience, at your office or by Zoom? I'd like to talk to you about my interest in working at XYZ company, or uh, one of my goals is to become a XYZ person. Uh, you're doing this work or you're working at that company. I'd like to learn from your experience. I have some specific questions and you might even uh, preview uh, one or two of those questions. Happy to uh, meet at your convenience, uh, though if uh, I'm also, I have lots of availability on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons, um, let me know what might work well for you. When you get an email like that, you know what that person wants, how you can be of help, and you know that it's not going to be an hour-long meeting in a coffee shop while you suffer through um, a meandering conversation that doesn't have an agenda. And you are much more likely to say yes. Now, I, I know there are listeners out there saying, well, I've sent messages like that and I've never heard back. Well, we all get dozens of emails every day and sometimes they end up in spam filters. Give the recipient of your messages, of your requests, the benefit of the doubt. 
and follow up at least two more times. And I, my experience has been uh, both personally and with job seekers that 70 to 75% of the time that you follow up uh, after a, an, in, an initial message, someone will say yes. And you might wait about a week, uh, bring up the original message, just send, send, uh, send it again with a subject line along that might say something like just checking in uh, and dear so-and-so following up on my message below, would love to get together with you at your convenience. If they don't respond, wait two more weeks, send a third message saying, uh, with the two message earlier messages below, just want to follow up, don't want to be a pest, I'll wait to hear from you. And again, my experience is nine out of 10 times, uh, most people will respond to, uh, if not the, the first or the second message, the third. And it just, it, you have to be persistent and you have to be specific. It's a business meeting. You're in charge, you call, you're calling it, you have to have an agenda. And back to your earlier point, you got to have an ask. In, uh, in addition to working on the career space, I also worked uh, earlier in my career in politics and did a lot of lobbying. Remember a lobbyist as we were training people to meet with elected officials would say about a meeting and the importance of having an ask. You walked in that room with an ask and at the end of that conversation, both parties should have some homework. And if, if they don't, if there isn't uh, some clear to-do items, that's a failed meeting. And that is an important principle, I think, to apply to job search as well. No, I think it's really important. And to me, and the more that you can find commonality between you and the person you're, you're connecting with, and you can add that commonality to the messaging, I think that would even increase your reply rate more. Um, because I think, you know, when people say, I don't have time, I think everybody can say we don't have time. It's just not a lack of priority. And obviously, if you're just meeting someone or you haven't met someone, you're trying to ask for time right away, right? Understand that their priority might not be that. It doesn't mean that they're evil or they're bad or they might not want to help. And that extra follow-up, like you mentioned, Mac, is like those show the persistence and show, okay, it wasn't a priority. I need to help this person. I also know how it feels. And so I agree with you. And I want to now transition to our second point, which is, you know, when people are applying, when they're just applying to every single job that meets the minimal requirements, right? Whether it's the, you know, we call it the spray and, and pray method, or I call it a shotgun and sniper approach, right? Um, why have you found that that is not a winning strategy? I run a job board at the Pacific Northwest. We serve employers and job seekers in Oregon and Washington. I talk to other job board operators all across the country, Daniel, and I'll and I'll tell you, and I'm very proud of the value that my site offers employers and job seekers, but every day I meet people who do nothing more than apply to jobs on sites like mine. And when they do that, they're making their search longer and harder than it has to be. And here's the reason why. You can't be all things to all employers. You've got to make choices. There are, uh, you have strengths, you have interests, you have values, you as a job seeker need to identify those values and strengths and interests. And you need to be clear about where, what kind of job you want and where you wanna work. There are thousands of, of employers in every state, tens of thousands of open jobs. You, you could apply for them all, uh, but you're, there are probably only a few hundred that are going to excite you and interest you and that you're gonna thrive in. And your job as a job seeker 
is to do that homework and figure out your goals, where you want to go and what you offer. Because when you do that, you'll end up applying for a lot fewer jobs, but you'll have a much more rewarding uh, job search and a much more rewarding career. Because again, you're not trying to be all things to all employers. Hiring managers want to find people who are excited about their job. And if you're uncertain about a position and it's a position perhaps you think you could do or that interests you, you're competing against people who know they want that job and know what challenges that employer faces. They've done the homework. They know how to present themselves. They know how to what strengths to emphasize. It's tough to compete against someone like that if all you are there to do is to talk about your interest to find out if this is something you really want to do. And that's the problem with the spray and pray approach. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, and when this question is asked to me by students and they're like coming into my mentoring program and they're like saying like, Hey, Daniel, like, I don't want to limit myself. Like, like if I just only apply, if I'm applying, like most of the people that I, I work with are applying to hundreds. And I mean, 200, 300 applicants. Yeah. And I am saying, are you qualified to all those jobs? And are you like, are those all jobs excite you or something you really want to do? Right. Or in, in my, a lot of audience perspective, do they even sponsor? Right. And when we think about why this doesn't work and we make it about them. Right. And so I, so this is the example that I share my clients. I go, why did you decide to choose to work with me versus any other career coach? Right. There's thousands, probably millions of career coach out there. And odds are the reason why you chose to work, work with me and join my mentoring program is because I specifically specify on helping minority and international students land a job in STEM. And because you're a minority or an international student that wants to go into the STEM field, you can quickly connect to my messaging because you can understand that I solve the unique problems that you have as an international STEM student, right? That level of clarity gives you peace of mind and allows you to want to learn more about my business. It is the same thing as an employer. If you can, if an employer can look at your resume, can look at maybe the referral, or can just see from your LinkedIn profile that you have focused on a particular industry, a particular job, like that it matches much, much closer, they're going to be more interested to get to know you, bring you into the interview to, to go and, and explore this conversation further. So it goes both ways, right? It's like, it's like counterintuitive, but we forget how we, we do it when you become the hiring manager. Because I tell my clients, like three to five years from now, what's going to happen? You're going to be in a leadership position and mm -hmm. where you can now hire your team. And what are you going to do? The same thing you did to make these shopping decisions. And I would imagine that many of the people you do coach have had leadership positions, even in high school or college where they've done hiring or made uh, recommendations for choices for committee service or the like. And when you're a hiring manager, you want to find somebody who can do the job. Maybe other factors that you're considering are, you want somebody who's gonna stick around for a while. You want somebody who is gonna be excited about being there. At, uh, you, you're worried about uh, somebody perhaps being poached by a competitor. So that excitement and interest in being at that company is even more important. Uh, especially in this current job market, which is a job seekers market. So I want to reinforce your point, Daniel, about the importance of not keeping your options open. You don't want to be open to everything. You've got to focus. You've got to have a niche. And if you don't have one, if you're uncertain, that's normal. You just have to do the work to get that clarity. Uh, because once you identify 
say 25 target employers and you're clear about the position you want, then your networking and your job search gets easier because you can focus on building the connections and the relationships uh, uh, in the field where you wanna work at the companies that are you're most excited about. And again, those relationships matter so much when hiring decisions are made because hiring managers want to reduce risk. And one of the ways they do that is if they've got several candidates who are equally qualified, but uh, one is recommended by someone they trust, they're much more likely to go with that person. The other thing that happens when you have that kind of focus and clarity is you're able to understand through your networking and relationships, the needs and challenges of that employer. And remember, employers hire problem solvers. They're not hiring resumes. They want people who are gonna make their life easier. And so the more understanding you have through networking and informational interviews and other conversations about the challenges that that particular employer who you're most excited about working for, the more success you're gonna have in getting an offer and have a rewarding career. No, like, absolutely. I think we, we tend to forget that anytime that, any, anytime that a company is hiring, they're ultimately making an investment because regardless of the size of the company, they have limited resources. And if a company has limited resources, they have to be selective of how they're investing their money. So if they're going to hire you and pay you $100,000 to be a software engineer, right? They can't use that money for marketing, for hiring accounting, for anything else, right? Which means that like any investment, a company has to look at two things. What is my risk? versus my reward. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you're like, well, I apply for jobs and I'm overqualified and I don't get it. It's not that you're not qualified that you're not getting it. It's because you're overqualified and the risk of you leaving the job within a couple of months is so high that it's not worth the reward of hiring somebody that's overqualified. So you have to look at the risk and reward of a company. And that's why when you have clarity of where you're applying, you actually lower that risk for the company and the hiring manager, which then increases your odds of getting hired. And the more you can reduce that risk for the hiring manager, the more likely you are to get an offer. Because when a, it takes three to six months typically to find out if it's not a good fit and nobody likes it. The candidate doesn't like it. The employer doesn't like it. Sometimes it's up to a year. And so things don't get done. And then it's painful to let people go or to leave uh, for, for all the parties involved. And then you got to start all over again, both the candidate and, and the employer. And nobody likes that. That's why, to your point, hiring managers look for ways to reduce risk. And candidates who have that clarity about what they want and have got good referrals and relationships uh, are going to be much more attractive to a hiring manager than somebody who is keeping their options open or would like to learn more about this opportunity. Absolutely. And, and that takes me to the next point, right? Like, uh, you know, as a candidate, you know, a big concern that I see is, well, I apply for jobs. I, I see this all the time. The average company receives hundreds of applications, yeah. right? You have a very unique point of view that you work with employers in their job boards. You see how many applications are, they're receiving. And that's just one job board. It could be more, right? If you combine them all, right? And so your point of view, like, does the company have all the leverage? Who has leverage? Like, explain that a little bit more for us. Well, Applicants or you know, employees do get lots and lots of applicants. Um, and uh, many hiring managers will actually take some pride in that. They'll say we'll get two, 300 applications or even thousands if it's a, a Fortune 500 company or prestigious tech brand like Google or, or Facebook. 
Uh, but what you won't hear from hiring managers as a candidate is that many of those positions or applicants rather uh, are unqualified uh, and they're not going to get a phone screen. Uh, they're going to get a, a, a perfunctory email acknowledgement and that's it. So sometimes I meet candidates who hear about the large number of applications that a company receives, particularly um, the, the best known firms, and they get discouraged. They think, well, I, I don't have a chance. I mean, uh, one out of 100 applicants gets into an Ivy League school. How am I going to be the one out of 3,000 people who get an offer at Facebook or whatever the ratio might be there? Yeah. Well, once you understand that many of those positions or applicants rather are unqualified, that should give you some hope. But here's the other thing, and we've talked about this in a number of different ways already, Daniel, is the importance of relationships. Again, if you recognize and understand the way hiring works and the, the power of referrals and the difference a referral can make in a hiring decision, then you can make that principle work for you. And you might say, well, I'm doomed. I don't know anybody at Facebook. Well, your job is if you're clear that that is indeed one of your target companies and you've done the homework to get clarity about that and you are clear about the position you want uh, at, at a place like Facebook, then your job becomes, well, how do you build relationships with people inside that organization, whether it's Facebook or a, a small nonprofit in your community? Uh, the principle is the same. And the way you do it is once you have that clarity about what you want and where you wanna go, then you start reaching out to people inside that organization. If you don't know anyone there, uh, you need to look in your network. Some people will tell me, well, I'm doomed again. I don't have a network. Everybody has a network. We have friends, family, uh, neighbors, uh, people we go to we went to school with or are in school with. Maybe we're part of a faith community, a sports team, uh, some civic organization. Uh, and one of the best places to look for those connections is on LinkedIn in uh, high school or university alumni databases. And if you can't identify people who work at your target employer, look for people who know people who do and ask for introductions. And when you reach out to these contacts inside these organizations, you're not asking for a job. You're introducing yourself, you're sharing your goals, you're asking specific questions. This goes back to our, our, the start of our conversation about concerns or uh, that you might have or your interest in working in a place. And you're getting insights and information that are gonna be invaluable to you as a candidate. But it's also an opportunity to ask about upcoming hiring plans and maybe uncover jobs that don't get posted. You can also ask for introductions to other people inside the organization and you slowly begin to build relationships uh, and over time, when jobs are, uh, do appear and people will think of you, you might not, you won't get an offer because of this, but you will get, your resume will get in front of hiring managers and you'll get interviews. Um, that's how candidates have leverage. Um, can I tell a quick story Absolutely. about someone? Okay. So there was a lady on my podcast, um, maybe three years ago. Her partner found a, I'm in Portland, Oregon, a position uh, at one of the big companies out here. I think it might've been Nike. She was living in Washington, DC. She was a communications uh, 
Deputy Direct Communi Deputy Communications Director Chuck Schumer on Capitol Hill had a great network in D.C. Very successful person, um, good at her job, but she her she was following her partner to Oregon. She didn't know anyone here, so she saw her challenge as building a network. And she she well she didn't know people at first in Oregon. She knew people who knew people. And she asked them for introductions. And she got here, I think it was in January. And over the course of the six months that followed, she told me she did about 90 informational interviews. These are meetings where she met with people for 15 to 30 minutes. And it wasn't to pick their brain or get together for coffee. She had specific reasons for these meetings. These people worked at organizations that interested her, or they were doing jobs that uh, she thought she might want to do. And she wanted to learn from their experience or get insights into the challenges those organizations were facing. But she was also introducing herself and sharing her story and her goals and building a network. So at the end of six months, she got a great job doing corporate communications for a large utility, which was her one of her goals. And I asked her on the podcast, well, how many applications did you send out? Now, I meet people all the time who over the course of six months will tell me, well, I send 95 applications a week, 100 a month, you know, 600 applications, and I got five or six interviews, and maybe they even got an offer. Um, but she said she sent out, I think it was five applications, and every time she did apply, she got an interview, uh, and she, again, in the end, got the job she wanted. But the most valuable thing she had was this network that she created over six months. And she's mid-career. I'm thinking she's probably 15 or 20 years into her career. So she's got another 15 to 20 years in the workplace. And she's going to keep running across these people again and again. And they're going to help her as she moves on to her next position and the one after that. Uh, so that the people who sent out 100 applications a month uh, to postings on the job board, many of them never heard back. They don't have any connections, any relationships. And perhaps in the end, they did get an interview, uh, several interviews and even a job. But was it the job that they really wanted? Uh, right. you know, time will tell. Uh, but I, I, I would say in the end, both parties probably worked the same amount. I'm guessing the lady from DC worked less. And at the end, she got a job when she received the offer. She knew it was a good good offer with a great salary package, to working with interesting people for a company that was exciting and had a good reputation. And she knew all this because she'd done the homework, she'd done the informational interviews, and she had she'd created a network that's going to continue to serve her, and she'll be of service to it as well for years to come. I love that, and it really goes back to the phrase, you know, your network is your network, your network is your net worth. Um, and that does accumulate and, comp and builds compound interest if you're building those relationships and you're not just withdrawing and just asking, asking, asking. So I think this is a great place for us to, to kind of wrap it up. Uh, Mac, this has been incredible. Um, I'm going to put some links to your podcast here for us, for the job seekers as well. But um, if, if people want to learn more about you, what is the best way for them to do so? Go to two sites. I do host a weekly career advice podcast. It's called Find Your Dream Job. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. We're celebrating our seventh anniversary uh, in October, and we've had it's been downloaded 2.7 million times. 
We're very, uh, we've just had some wonderful guests sharing great practical, actionable advice about how to look for work. And then also come to our website, maxlist.org, uh, and you'll find lots of uh, career advice there, free advice uh, uh, that works anywhere, not just in the Pacific Northwest. And I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So let me throw in a third one. Uh, send me a note. Don't forget to send that note whenever you connect with someone on LinkedIn. And I'd, I'd love to connect with you there as well. Amazing, Mac. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for being here. And for everybody listening, thank you guys so much and catch you guys on the next one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're still listening, it's because you've reached the end of the episode and that speaks volumes of you. In an age of distraction, the fact that you're still listening to this means that you're serious about your career. And to do that, I want to return the favor and reward you for this behavior. So to do that, I want to give you access to a free 30-minute webinar that's going to completely change the way you job search. This webinar was built just for international STEM students. And we're going to talk about the three biggest mistakes international STEM students make when looking for a job and how to fix them. So if you want to get access to this webinar, go to masteringcollege2career.com forward slash webinar podcast.